morning. So uh, I'm actually a little bit of an expert on the journey between Nazareth and Bethlehem. I, I made this trip myself personally. It was uh, 12, 13 years ago. I was on sabbatical in Israel. I had, uh, I had started that, my time there, uh, with Dina and Johanna Catanacho, who had been at Christ Church uh, while, Dean, or while Johanna was doing his PhD in Old Testament. So they had been with us for four years or so. And then they had moved back to Israel. They lived in Nazareth. Uh, Johanna, academic dean at uh, Bethlehem Bible College, and also then starting a Nazareth Bible College. They lived in Nazareth. Dina uh, had just been appointed the uh, executive director of the Arab-Israeli Bible Society. And uh, I stayed with them for two nights, and their house was right next to the Church uh, of the Annunciation, which is where it is believed that the angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary to tell her that she had found favor with, uh, with God, and she was going to uh, conceive and give birth to the Messiah. So um, when you go to Israel, <clears throat> everything is... Uh, everything is a church. You say you're, you're going to see a site. You're going to the uh, to the site of the birth, and it's the church of uh, the incarnation, the church of the Annunciation. It's the you go to see the the place where it's believed that, that Jesus was buried. It's the church of the resurrection. So, over the last two thousand years, mostly the Orthodox, also a lot of Catholic uh, churches have been built over these sites. So they were right next to the church of the Annunciation. I stayed with them for a couple nights. And then uh, I made the trip to Bethlehem. So this is the trip that Mary and Joseph would have made uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so um, I, I, I didn't actually go by donkey, uh, and the road was paved, um, uh, and the car I was in was air-conditioned, uh, and oh, I wasn't pregnant either. Um, but it was sort of a hard trip. Uh, I was a little jet-lagged, I had a headache. And it was a little bit boring, honestly. It seemed like it was just very hot and rocky out there. There was not a lot for me to look at. So when I say <laughs> that I'm a bit of an expert on the, uh, the trip between Nazareth and Bethlehem, I made it uh, once in the back of a car. Um, but this whole idea of a journey to Bethlehem uh, can be um, a metaphor for our spiritual life. I actually don't want to use it that way. I want us to think, uh, about the actual journey to Bethlehem. Um, because the story that we get, the, the story that we are seeing unpacked as we do this Lessons in Carol's Experience, the story is not actually uh, our story. Now, there's a sense in which it is. There's a sense in which this is our story. The Bible is our story. But there's another sense in which if you're still the star of your story, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. The story is about Jesus. And that's a little bit of what happens here in the, the, the carol that we're going to look at, which is, uh, What Child Is This? And it was uh, written in the 19th century by William Chatterson Dix, who was a, an insurance salesman, insurance agent. And uh, he wrote in his spare time. And he writes this, uh, this hymn, this Christmas song, uh, as if we have stumbled upon the scene. And the question is, what's going on? So, so you come to Bethlehem and, and you are now looking at a scene where a woman has just given birth to 
uh, a baby in in back you know in the in the poverty part of uh, this little home in the back there in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a small sort of know nothing community, and uh, it's been overrun by people because of the census that uh, that the king has ordered. And there was no room anywhere else, and so they're in this basically sort of the stable area uh, of this home, and this is where the baby's been born. And there are shepherds there, uh, but there are also angels. And so this makes it a very odd collection of people. So shepherds are the, the poorest of the poor. They're the bottom of the societal pecking order. They're, they're considered... Uh, untrustworthy, they can't testify in court, so they've got, they've got a, a lonely, cold, boring, low-paying job. So the shepherds have gathered, but you also have angels. So the angels are the opposite side. So the angels often, uh, we're told, that they, they will cloak their glory so that they can move among us. We, we don't know that they're there. Uh, but an angel uncloaked, uh, of its glory is, is terrifying. We're overwhelmed by their brilliance and their power and their goodness. And here they are, there's a choir of angels that are singing. And so as you can imagine, if you stumble upon this scene, you're asking the question, what's going on here? Like, who's the baby that, that would gather this two disparate groups? Earth is sort of ignoring what's going on. It's just the shepherds. But heaven has shown up with all of this power? And so that is the question uh, that is asked. The first question that, that uh, Dix asks, what child is this who uh, is laying in Mary's lap? What child is this laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping? Now, if you know anything about the answers that are offered to this question. You know, that there's a number of answers that sound initially better than they are. There's a lot of people that say, who's the child? Well, the child is Jesus, and who's Jesus? Well, Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived, the greatest teacher who ever lived, the greatest moral reformer of all time. Those answers sound good, and just for the record, they're, they're true. I mean, you won't get much pushback, not from reputable historians. I mean, we, you'll get pushback. There's people that, you know, deny the Holocaust, and there's people that don't think we went to the moon, and there's, I saw a sign in California, uh, sort of makes sense, but a guy standing along the road holding a sign and said, two plus two equals five, four is propaganda. So um, who knows what people are going to say, but generally, Reputable historians will say, yes, Jesus is the most influential person that lived, and Jesus is uh, a, one of the greatest teachers of all time, and this profound moral reformer influenced more people. So all of, those are, uh, all of those are answers that you can see. But the controversy around Jesus is, is not around whether he's the most influential person. The controversy around Jesus is, is, who, is he who he claims to be? because he claims to be God. And this is where everything uh, pivots. So Jesus claims to be more than a person. He claims to be the eternal son of God. He claims to be the Messiah. And so uh, that's a little bit of how this gets answered. What child is this? This, this is Christ 
the king. So Christ, I'll remind you, uh, is not Jesus' last name. Christ is, uh, is, a, is a title, it means Messiah. It means he's the one all the way back in Genesis chapter three. He's the one from lesson two. So uh, as we've been moving our way through, we, we now are going back to lesson two. Jesus is the one that was promised. Jesus is the one that was promised, not just in Genesis, but through all the different prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, uh, Hosea, Zephaniah. There's all these messianic prophets. This is just a statement. Jesus is the one. He is the Christ. He is the king. There are the, the three offices, prophet, priest, and king that Jesus fulfills. Uh, so this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste, uh, to bring him laud, which means glory, to, you know, to affirm him, to worship him, to ascribe glory and praise to him, the babe, the son of Mary. So the first question is, um, who is this? And the answer is, well, this is Jesus, and he is the Messiah, he is the promised one, he is the Savior, the rescuer. Well, that leads to the second question. <laughs> Well, if this is God, if this is the Messiah, then what is he doing here? Uh, and and, and uh, Dix asks it, why lies he in such mean estate? Like, okay, it's mean, not meaning uh, angry, just meaning simple. Why is, he, why is he here in such humble place where ox and ass are feeding? What's he doing in a barn? So please understand that the, the contrast here is not, well, you know, if, if Jesus was showing up, he should have been born in, you know, a nice hospital. Or, uh, I don't know, pick the Taj Mahal or, you know, the, the, the Four Seasons Hotel. I, I don't know where you want to go, but none of that actually matters. Uh, had God, had Jesus, the Word, uh, shown up, left heaven and shown up on earth anywhere, H had he shown up to all the glory we could offer, had everybody bowed their knee, it still would have been this radical cosmic humiliation. The, the creator is becoming part of the creation. The fact that it's in, you know, that he's been born in a barn uh, where there's donkeys and, you know, it, all of this, it's, it, that's, that's sort of secondary to this. We have to understand the, again, the radical downgrading that, uh, that Jesus undergoes while, in order to become one of us, in order to become one of us. Some people sometimes will say, it's sort of like um, we are to uh, God what an ant is to us. <clears throat> Not even close. Okay, so God created everything, including us, uh, out of nothing. We cannot speak an ant into existence. The fact of the matter is, we can't make an ant if you give us all the parts and instructions. So the, 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 the gap between, between the creator and becoming part of his creation is infinite compared to the small distance between you and me and other creatures. So why did he do it? Um, why did he uh, go through this ultimate downsizing? Well, Dix's answer here is quite profound. Good Christians fear, for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. So uh, word, again, this is the Greek word logos. This is John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, so this is, this is referencing to Jesus here. So good Christians fear. For sinners, okay, you and me, for sinners hear the silent word. He's shown up, he's still silent, but 
He has shown up in order to be our advocate, in order to plead our case, in order to intercede as our high priest, in order to be our savior and our priest and king. So nails, spears shall pierce him through. So we're foreshadowing, uh, uh, Dix is looking ahead to his death. Um, he was born to die in our place. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, God incarnate, God becoming one of us. Jesus, while remaining fully God, becomes fully man. He, uh, the incarnation is the play off this Latin word, carnos, from which we get carnivore, meat. So he becomes, uh, he becomes God in the flesh. Hail, hail, the word, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So verse three. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. These are references to the gifts that, that were brought by the, by the uh, wise men. And um, there's different thinking about this. Frankincense is, a, is sort of a resin made from tree sap that when it's burned is very fragrant. Uh, myrrh is also a resin, it's made from a bush, and it is used in embalming. And there's some effort to say, well, the, the gold is a reference to Jesus's, uh, uh, to Jesus' royalty, and the frankincense goes to his divinity, and the myrrh goes to his humanity. Uh, okay, maybe. I, I think these are really practical gifts because they were sort of uh, in a land before a lot of um, you know paper currency. Uh, these were things that could be exchanged, and as you might remember, almost immediately Mary and Joseph are going to have to take Jesus and flee from Herod, and they're going to go to Egypt and and they're gonna have to live there for some period of time. They're gonna need money, so they have, they have gifts that they can exchange for things. Um, so come peasant king, in other words, there's a comma in there. There's, there's not, not actually a comma, uh, perhaps, in uh, the way this was originally written, but there is a comma. Come peasant and king, everybody, all of humanity, uh, come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high, so keep worshiping. And then this great line, the virgin sings her lullaby. So this, Jesus was conceived of the virgin, so, uh, but yet she's now a mom. So the virgin is singing a lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. So all of that brings us to the third question. The first question, who is Jesus? The second question, if that's who he is, he's the Christ, he's the king, what is he doing here uh, in this very humble background? And then the third question is, what are you gonna do with him? The reason he's here is to come as, as Savior and Messiah and Lord and as our sacrifice. So that's why he showed up. The question becomes, what are you going to do with him? And that is, the bigger Christian question. It's not just the question uh, for Christmas. It is the question of all time. What are you going to do with Jesus? If we can help you figure out what to do with Jesus, please let us know. Right now, I invite you to stand and join with me as we sing, What Child Is This? <laughs> 